0: to a special extra edition of looks unfamiliar which is technically sort of an edition of looks familiar because for anyone who doesn't know i took the name of looks unfamiliar from looks familiar which was a, a daytime tv show when i was quite young that i don't really remember that much about i remember that it was on i used to think oh no it's the old stuff program and not watch it. And then years later, I remember being quite intrigued by it. I remember, I've never managed to find this, our local library had a Looks Familiar book, which had behind-the-scenes anecdotes about it in. I remember hearing Jonathan Ross talking to Barry Cryer on Radio 2, uh, who mentioned Looks Familiar. And even Jonathan Ross went, oh, what, what was Looks Familiar, Barry? I don't remember anything about it. And he explained it at great length. But I thought, you know, it was long overdue that we gave it some recognition, the forgotten thing itself, so... I managed to dig out a couple of episodes, thanks to Simon Harris for them, and I thought that the person I'd discussed them with was Ben Baker. Now, Ben, the reason I've picked you, apart from the fact I think you'd be quite funny about it, is that when I first became aware of your work, I realised that, you know, you're somebody who's probably a bit too young to remember, looks familiar, but you're, you struck me as somebody who was interested in all this archive vintage stuff, but not uncritically. You didn't just like it because it was old. I mean, I remember particularly, you have a very strongly stated aversion to the goons, so you're not uncritical. Basically, that's why I wanted to watch these again, see what I thought of them, see what you thought of them. So, Ben, why don't you make looks familiar, familiar?
1: Hello, by the way. Can we
0: just get a plug in for your book first, by the way? I'm feeling generous. If you want,
1: go to (laughs) www.benbakerbooks.co.uk and get my latest book. Kill Your Television, a collection of TV writings. There's also my book on Christmas TV, 40 years of Christmas TV, and some quiz books as well, including a TV one called Remotely Interesting, which uh, fits very much with the theme of this. But yeah, it is an interesting programme. I have very dim memories of it. Indeed, I think the most sort of striking thing in my head is, you remember a Radio 4 sketch show called And Now In Colour? Yes. And Tim Firth, who's now gone gone on to be a very famous playwright, uh, Calendar Girls and the the band and stuff like that, They're, they're his. He did a song and the first line is Dennis Norden said on Looks Familiar, you know you're getting old, and then he made some joke. <laughs> I might have sneered inwardly at that time but I never knew the wisdom that Dennis spoke and then it's about a song about growing up, obviously. That was very much the, the first sort of proper time it entered my my consciousness and, and watching these two episodes I did lose consciousness several times. <laughs> so it's, you unearthed two episodes of Looks Unfamiliar. So, sorry, Looks, no, for, looks, looks familiar, familiar. Not Looks That's Unfamiliar. With well, the two episodes of Looks Unfamiliar, the ones you were on. Because we're not reviewing them. <laughs> I thought they were very good. They're both from the 1980 which uh, is the year of my birth. Well,
0: yeah, I mean, the first thing to say is that these two are literally weeks apart, and yet something that I know you're itching to talk about very interesting happens. I mean, the first one's 28th February 1980, which has got Chesney Allen, Richard Murdoch and Arthur Askey as the guests, and 3rd of April 1980, with William Franklin, Diana Sheridan and Kenneth Moore I will have plenty to say about them in due course. So so what was it that struck you about the two very close episodes in comparison to each other? Well,
1: to begin with, I, th- I think it started in 1970, I think I looked up. It's already ten years on, so it's dated for a programme about date things. But the title sequence to the first one or so was these very lengthy black and white opening clips. These lengthy clips that the audience are in hysterics at. It's very sort of like I, I assume they changed every week, but were generally to a, to a pattern, which is like ballroom dancing, and then pe- men dressed as women falling into some water. <laughs> and then on, that's all your hobbies. And that interests. is that is all my hobbies and interests. And then the second one, it's 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 got really slick. It's suddenly like the the titles are pacy. It's got a proper logo, and Dennis is sat like a a, a desk. He's the brownest white man on television he's <laughs> lovely tan he i just think he basically spent three months knocking out it'll be all right in the night and this, and then just bugging off somewhere for the rest of the
0: well, year. Well, there's also, what you didn't say was at the end of that second set of titles, after, you know, all these authentic archive clips, it cuts to a mocked-up sepia thing of him yes. in a lovely hat, having a fine old smoke of a cigar oh, and a yeah. drink of brandy, as if he's been, just been
1: around since the dawn of entertainment. <laughs> Which, to be fair, is not that far off. Yeah. Really? <laughs> the interesting thing about the the first episode with Dennis Norden coming from radio, being one of the biggest radio writers of the sort of 40s, early 40s, with Frank Muir and Take It From Here and stuff, is that the first episode is a reunion of the cast of Bandwagon, which is one of those things I think if you ask someone over a certain age, they'll go, Oh, I remember Bandwagon.
0: Bandwagon intrigues me because I, I've heard it, I don't find it that funny. But it's the idea that it started in what was it the thirties, and it was the whole premise was that Richard Murdoch and Arthur Askey had been for an audition at the BBC, and everyone forgot about them, and nobody asked them to come down from the roof because they went on the roof for some reason, <laughs> and they live up there. <laughs> And the whole premise of it was about them wandering around the BBC, basically. Radio had only just started, and people were messing about with it already. Yeah. I think that's quite amazing, really.
1: Yeah, I, I suppose so. It's a lot. It's it's interesting, but I, I suppose again, like the, the huge audiences that you'd get for a program like that meant, even though it was kind of slightly unusual, people had listened because there was bugger all else to listen to. <laughs> but as you said, there was Arthur Askey and Stinker Murdoch. As uh, you just wouldn't get someone like, you know, these days, would you, with a nickname like Stinker, <laughs> <a> <laughs> Stinker Elba, <or laughs> Stinker Marzan?
0: <laughs> no, Stinker Bell. He played <laughs> in the Wire. Not
1: stink Stinker Bell.
0: There that's... was Stinker in the Wire. it was one of his henchmen. So yeah, that's I think. You get, you just get. Stop reminiscing about the Wire. It's not old enough. Get back to looks familiar.
1: If you're one of those people who sell crack <laughs> on the of <Baltimore laughs> streets. this clip is for you yeah so they're on with Chesney Allen from Flanagan and Allen who you literally you know the name and that's it I would Mm. say even though I think this as clips from this program show they appeared in all sorts of films and stuff they were huge at the time but time has not been kind really were they
0: really a musical comedy duo or is it just that everyone remembers underneath the arches I've never quite
1: been sure I think they probably did the more musical stuff because part of the crazy gang was the yes Uh, yeah. You know, which, let, let's be honest, uh, a, a less fitting moniker could not be. But uh, I looked into so the guests on this 1980 programme. So, as I uh, said, Chesney Allen, he was 86 at the time of recording, and he died two years later, 1982. Stinker Murdoch was 73, and he died in 1990. And Arthur Askey also died in 1982. <laughs> he was 80 at the time of this recording. That's a
0: significant point, though, is that isn't it a good thing that... No matter how you might have regarded them at the time, there were these programmes around capturing these people yeah. who were the last link to, in some ways, entertainment that predated an era where it could be recorded. Cause, I mean, they make a big thing in both of these shows of where they've recovered clips from. Including, isn't there a clip in the second one which comes to a bit of Larry Adler that somebody filmed off their TV? Yeah,
1: some comedy mouth organ business. You're absolutely right. I think uh, it's, it's very interesting to look back, but uh, as you say, it's like these things that didn't exist, and it's sort of people in the seventies and eighties looking back at these things in a similar way that it would be like us looking back now, and it would be basically, you know, looking back at the seventies and sixties. You know that that now how time has moved on. You know, and that's quite scary actually. <laughs> that you know, we're, we're even forty years even further away from things referenced in this program. It is sort of a thing that we grew up with black and white films on TV. Only just, but mm. they still were. And now, I think it's basically, I think it's the talking pictures TV and those weird local ones that just buy any old things that have been <laughs> stored in a potato for 60 years, a massive fag burns <laughs> stick out because <laughs> they need content. So you can see black and white stuff now, but yeah, it's definitely very much like a different world. But what I
0: find about these older programmes like this is they do actually treat it as different. Well, they're reminiscing but they're not making any kind of link to the present, which no. I think is a mistake people are still making now. I mean, I would point to one thing that had a really profound effect on me not that long ago was was a documentary on BBC4 about somebody trying to recreate the first ever BBC television programme. Yeah. Where, you know, to me, when I used to read about that, that always seemed like something not just from another age, from another world. Yeah. It just to have no connection to my life or anything I recognised at all. But when they started trying to remake it, you know, first of all, they went round trying to rebuild the old equipment. And then they went into the BBC Written Archives, started pulling out the script, the running order, the programmer's broadcast sheet, which said, you know, what music was used, who appeared when, and so on. That suddenly... And, you know, when they went into where the studio was, I suddenly thought, this is not at all in any way different to any of the programmes that I spend most of my waking hours obsessing <laughs> over the making. No. It's just slightly earlier. And there's no evidence of it. And suddenly it felt almost like I could see it in my head. It was, it
1: was tangible, yeah. It suddenly became part of the modern world, this archive thing. Paul
0: Weller was not on the first (laughs)
1: night of the BBC. (laughs) To be fair, if they were doing looks familiar now, Paul Weller would probably be a guest, (laughs) uh, along with two of Citizen Smith.
0: And Glenn Matlock, surely. He never turns
1: down the show No, that's That's fair. (laughs) Uh, Do you remember when you said piss on uh, T-Type television? (laughs) Can you imagine, though, they lived through punk? These men lived through punk. This is an era <laughs> where, you know, as you said, like like The Jam, like you mentioned there, are one of the biggest bands in, in the country, like Blondie and everything, the, the new wave revolution, and yet this is a programme so stuck to 50 years previous.
0: Well, one thing that struck me was, I felt the clips that they use, you know, old films, old performances on, were interesting But in that format they go on too long, if it was like a program compiling archive extracts it'd be fine you could sit through it but they seem to go on forever. Do you know what it reminded me of? You know that? I've never understood what this is or why it's there, but in the two Ronnies, when they have, is it the Vagabond Lover? <laughs> it's Ronnie Barker doing, like, one of these old films, just singing, yeah, I travel along, let's hurry. And the whole point is that it goes on far too long and the sound goes out of sync and so on. That's
1: literally every two Ronnies sketch. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> all the, sketch. the ones where they're not beefy is obviously all crop of the flops, which we don't talk about. I do wonder how many people People who appeared on looks familiar are now very much verboten from television <laughs> repeats. Yeah, do you know I've not looked into that. Good, good, good. That is the best thing. That's the best thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, you know, maybe not. I mean, this, this is the thing. This is a program, basically. If we've not made it clear enough for people who don't know, it, it's literally just Dennis Norden coaxing three old older gentlemen and and in the second one, a lady type Dan Sheridan. Uh, just like w- w- who do you? Recognizing this clip, like what, what, what is it? What, who, who are you? <laughs> who are you? Do you remember? Do you, do you remember? It is almost like the corkscrew <laughs> gently, and it is actually quite lovely. Actually, see, like for example, there's a bit. In the first one with party pieces, they ask them to do the party pieces, and suddenly these decrepit old men who are very much like Simon Day's Tommy Cockles you know, that very much <laughs> gentlemen of the old school, come alive, and they just suddenly start doing these bits that they've been doing for sixty odd years. You know, I mean Arthur Askey does some funnies about Winkles and stuff like that, <laughs> but they're like they're doing the old songs and that. Do you remember that song and stuff like that? And saying, yeah, and they properly come to life, and it's really as say says. Nice to see. Well, the key
0: thing there, I thought, was they do actually involve Dennis Norden and they trade gags with him, even though he must have seemed like a young upstart to them. But uh, I would compare it to recently on the iPlayer, an episode of Time of Your Life has turned up, which was a, a quite similar BBC programme with Noel Edmonds from the early 80s, where they pick a specific year and reunite, you know, sort of the film stars and, uh,
1: okay. yeah. you
0: know, the the pop stars. Uh, you've not seen it. I didn't no, go and watch it. I no, mean, no, no. It's, it's no, absolutely fascinating, that. but I vaguely remember it when I was a kid. In fact, I didn't know the name of it for a long time, so I was, I was delighted when this turned up. And it's also, you know, they talk about the fads and crazies, but it, you know, it's also a bit about rationing in the one that's on there, because it's... It's one of the 50s ones. You know, it's not afraid to show that it wasn't all, you know, having nostalgia. But the interesting thing is one of the people that they have on it is Norman Wisdom, because I think his first film came out that year. And almost without prompting, he goes into one of his routines, straight to the audience, ignores Noel completely. (laughs) And Noel brilliantly, when he can see, it's getting a bit much, you know, because he did go on Norman Wisdom. Noel says, like, first of all, he says, in your own time, Norman... And then starts looking at his watch comically and like sort of doing funny gestures to yeah. the floor manager. Making a joke out of it, trying to wrestle back control of his yeah. show as well. And it's interesting that they were they were generous to the host in a way that people weren't always. Because people did that on Wogan as well, they'd like, you know, ignore him. I'll do
1: if fair, it's like, if you want someone ignoring Noel Edmonds, find the Paul and Linda McCartney interview from The Late Late yes. Breakfast Show, which is <laughs> yeah. one of the most painful things anyone can see. And again, that feels quite contemporary in some ways, but that is 35 years old. It, it, it's fascinating, and I think bringing up Noel, our... Big vision into the past was teleaddicts, which for clips and stuff from yeah. from before our time and stuff. And this sort of is very much like the Mogadon teleaddicts. It's like the <laughs> it's like the, the give them three minutes of a clip, and it is they're not bad clips either. They're very entertaining. A lot of them, you know, because mm. these people were great, and a lot of these films were stage shows just transposed on a film that they've done thousands of times, so they were just so slick. I mean, there's a bandwagon film that's shown. Yeah. A lot of radio programmes get films back then. I think quite a lot did. I've not seen
0: many of them, but I think things like Life with the Lions did, possibly Meet the Huggets. You know, I think, basically, that was a cash cow in those yeah. days. Even into the early days of telly, the only way you could get to enjoy something again, if it wasn't on and there wasn't a stage show, was in the cinema and they probably made more money out of them than they did from anything else but then it dragged on too long and you get all the things like people say the rot sets in in the 70s for films based on TV shows I think it's the mid 60s because if you look at Jerry and Sylvia Anderson owned the 60s as far as TV was concerned but they made two Thunderbirds films which bombed Despite massive publicity, I think it was because at that point the distance between TV and cinema was starting to blur, Uh, and you know people were probably thinking, "Why should I go and pay to see that when it's on next Saturday?" Yeah, (laughs) on its third repeat run on my ITV region.
1: But but then again, several years later, a million and six people went to see Blerkygur. Uh, uh, I own you, Butler. In Spain. <laughs> oh, in space. That I wish they'd done it on the buses a bit... in space.
0: <laughs> Don't even joke about that. I won't have on the buses turned into a comedy on my programme. Wasn't it supposedly only that successful because it was a really rainy summer and everyone went on holiday and they had nothing to do and they'd see on the buses? I'd stand in the fucking
1: rain <laughs> all day rather than go and see that. There's quite a little bit of fun recognising younger faces in these programmes as well. And it, one bit in particular, there's a young Harry Seacomb. Yes. <laughs> and you just know, kind of like Woo Like it's some. And you, know, you, you would. That's what I'm saying, you would. Harry Seacum, you would. Is and they even say he's a good looking lad. I think that was just around the time you're starting to do
0: Highway, that can't have been that long ago. Yeah. That photo was probably from Maybe around nineteen fifty or something yeah. and you know, to compare him in that photo with him walking round the grassy bit in the middle of a dual carriageway going, God made the curb, he made the grid as well
1: <laughs> <laughs> But uh I mean it if, if there's anything which permeates these shows and Highway in fact it's the Britishness. It's a very mm. British thing. You know, it's British stars and it's British old clips and songs and stuff like that. So it baffles me that the second edition we watched had a letter of complaint saying they were showing too many Hollywood clips. Like yes. <laughs> too, too many of your rintin tins. Not about Ian dog, the British dog, which is sadly all burned now. It was made of very cheap acetate Is that on the BFI
0: seventy five most wanted lost British films, is it? it was specifically about a dog the called the kicker and sleep is lovely. <laughs>
1: Yeah, he's on the BFI, 75 films about a dog called Ian, specifically. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> There's quite a few clips which are just Straightforward trailers as well from movies.
0: Yeah, that one. There's one called Turnabout, which is a body swap between the husband and the wife. That I really
1: want yeah, to see. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it, sadly, brilliant! Sadly, it's not the Rob Curling quiz show of the nineties, <laughs> but it does also predate the Judge Reinhold, Fred Savage, and indeed, and their ilk. Body swap film. It's <laughs> still ahead of this particular team, but uh, that's what I said. Team, because uh, it is a panel show, but there's no points or prizes.
0: It's not even really a quiz element to it. No. <laughs> I don't know what would happen if they got if they didn't recognise the person.
1: They always well, do. Just but... It, but half the time it's them. <laughs> so yes. Yeah! <laughs> it's like giving him a mirror and just drawing some lines on it and saying, who's that?
0: Well, I was going to say, have you ever seen anyone not recognise the younger version of themselves? But I've just realised the two anecdotes that I've got are interlinked, weirdly. Once Bernard Cribbins was on the celebrity telly addicts and they showed one of the Tufty public information films which he narrated. And Noel Eppin said... Did you notice who was narrating that, Bernard? And he said, no. (laughs) (laughs) But as well as that, later they used one of the... Because there were were other sort of ones in the Tufty universe, including one about...
1: Oh, God, it's not one of these Star Wars expanded, (laughs) the the Tufty novels.
0: It was one with Humphrey Littleton playing a doctor, and they used it in a round on... I'm sorry I haven't a clue. Oh, yeah. And he paused afterwards and said, I don't remember doing that. (laughs) So there there must be kind of some... Tough the amnesia pill they give them.
1: <laughs> <out>.
0: <laughs> but I was quite pleased to see. I've ne- I haven't actually seen these that Dinah Sheridan played Steve in the Paul Temple films.
1: Which there's yeah there's Which, a clip.
0: People probably know I am obsessed with Paul Temple, the radio detective. But those films are really hard to come by, and it's only still they showed. But. It's really nice
1: to see a bit. Of- uh, yeah, I suppose uh, you were getting the experience that people watching it would have done, which is, you know, scratching an itch of, oh, I remember that. I, I, I suspect, that, like, Tim Firth, the reference that I made at the start of the show, younger audiences that watched it baffled, but they still would have watched it because there was nothing else on, I suppose. When was it, what sort of time was it on? Was it a daytime thing or an evening thing? I remember it being a daytime
0: thing. There are some sources that say it was early evening. I think it might have jumped around a bit. It might have varied in ITV regions. Wow, yeah. Shows like that, they just did not care about. They threw around hither and thither around the day. Really. Yeah. You know, something in your region that was on it 7pm, you might get a 9 in the morning
1: in time, teas. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that. I remember the excitement of looking at the listings in looking. Like, yeah. oh, they have ALF now. We've got farming <laughs> reporters. To do the Sullivans or something. <laughs> well,
0: I genuinely I am so proud of this. When Stingray was doing a sort of round the regions unsynchronized repeat run in the early eighties, I worked out that if I retuned RTD from Granada to HTV, you could see two episodes of Stingray
1: in Wow. Work.
0: In those days... No,
1: that's that was, brilliant. That was
0: basically like a smartphone. That that's was, hacking. That was a life hack. That, that is was. hacking.
1: That is basically freaking. <laughs> <You are hurt.
0: laughs> I'm basically the Max head broadcast intrusion. <laughs> but uh, speaking of Britishness and films and the people in the second edition, we've got to address the elephant in the room, or rather the annoying vintage car in the room, because... Kenneth Moore and Diana Sheridan are there to talk about Genevieve. Now, this is not a film that anyone I know regards with much affection. And the first thing that most people I know think of when it's mentioned are two comedy things which are pretty nasty about it, which is the, the Victor Lewis Smith uncensored version of it. But also, on the first Radio Room 101,
1: Paul Merton sent it. No, Paul Merton loves anything old, yeah. and he sent in Genevieve. God, he does, doesn't he? particularly a
0: lot. because of Kenneth Moore's laugh, which after three, one, two, three. <laughs> why is it it's so revered by a generation up?
1: And I assume not just because by it else? was on a lot. You know, the films like that. They just you didn't get really top draw stuff all the time, did you? You know, you, you would not get you know true great. You'd get. Alan Cowboy goes to town. <laughs> what happened in to that? Well, Alan Cowboy, real name Cowboy Alan, went to a town and d- 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 events occurred. But that does again. It, it ties in. Looks some familiar. Looks familiar. Ties in very much with our memories of growing up, where there was old stuff on telly which is now ghettoised in a lot of ways. Uh, good yeah. in some ways, you know. I'd rather, you know, there be repeats of old film musty stuff. You know, it was like Channel 4 used to start up with many a terrible <laughs> back of white thing, you know. <laughs> I need to watch them because what else was there? Well, that's something that has come up again and again in Looks
0: Unfamiliar, is people mentioning the fact there was so much old stuff particularly in the children's CV schedules when we were kids.
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember that summer where they decided to repeat all the Children's Film Foundation things on a Friday because there was literally no budget at all. There was a lot of that, and... Mm. Now I'm very nostalgic for stuff like that, but back then it was just oh, yeah. like, what's that? In the future, there's millions of channels and loads of catch-up and box sets. Brilliant, <laughs> sign me up.
0: Well, that's like, I've never been sure whether the imperative of all that was to save money or to say to kids, you like this. Yeah. Or a bit of both, really. But as I mention in, hem, hem, my new book can't help thinking about me, there is an article which has never been published before about The Amazing Years of Cinema, which is an American documentary show presented by Douglas Fairbanks Jr. And I... You no, know, he, he could only be in his 50s then. And I remember thinking... Whoa, if he's Douglas Fairbanks Jr., how old is Douglas Fairbanks <laughs> Sr.? But it was all about the golden age of Hollywood and endless clips of people being exciting with biplanes, being romantic with biplanes. It was always biplanes, <laughs> or there'd be a photograph of a legendary script writer. Chester Z. Gritzman
1: third. <laughs> yes, but
0: why was that in the kids' schedules? Oh, I never understood
1: repeats, that. repeats, constantly repeats of That's Entertainment's Parts 1, 2, and occasionally uh-huh. 3 and it was just like hi i'm john old hollywood films and i'm here to tell you about when we made the films in the old times let me just tell you they weren't the new films in the new times they were the old films from the old times. And of
0: course, Harold Lloyd on BBC Two. <laughs> had the theme song, make way for Harold Lloyd, la 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 laugh a while, dig that style, a pair of glasses and a
1: smile. You should just count your blessings he wasn't that bloody Laurel and Hardy cartoons. <laughs> Which is
0: mentioned in the at the time recording, the most recent looks unfamiliar.
1: It is indeed, it's a good. One. I've heard it is a good. One. So, uh, yeah, to wrap up, one of the more interesting things, well, a, a very interesting thing I've about these two editions is the second one has the adverts and the yes. continuity with it so it's continuity from Thames Philip Ellsmore which is exciting and it is interesting because it does contextualize it a lot and so their adverts were like the Ronco battery tester and tunes and uh, Polaroid which is the most exciting thing in the world and Queen's Greatest Hits which is advertised as the most exciting album you've ever heard which I can tell you, probably once maybe, but five million times after. I
0: don't think it's the most exciting album I've ever heard. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, you know, there's pet sound.
1: Yeah. There's
0: boing by her head.
1: <laughs> it's funny how you mention that. Oh, boom, boom. And there's an advert for Superman 1 and 2 in a double bill because it's the London showing and stuff. And it's just like, Superman 1 and 2, things that would now be, if looks familiar came back now, Superman the first one would be a key subject. I don't know. Who, who would you have on? So the bring back looks familiar tomorrow. And it's in a similar way of them being the 30s and 40s. It's looking back at the sort of 60s and 70s. Who do you think would be key guests who would definitely be on them? Well, it'd have to be
0: people that were in things. So I
1: couldn't, Traditionally, yeah, couldn't go for
0: <laughs> like you know Richard Herring or Catelyn Moran or anything.
1: No, no, no. I mean, they'd want to. They'd want to crowbar in modern see my, comics. See my go-to so... choice
0: would be Noel happens, but I don't really want to let him loose on a television show these
1: days. <laughs> hey, no negative energy around here. Positive only, please. Here's one. B. A. Robertson. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting okay, one. Okay, so we need we need two guests. One of them's got to be female, right? Because I'm not having
0: any of this all male nonsense. So.
1: No, that, that's fair enough. I suppose you could have uh, someone like... Uh, I was thinking Julia Hills, but she might be a bit late. I'm trying to think of someone who was... Who was June Whitfield? She's still with us. What a brilliant idea. OK, so we've got B.A. Robertson and June Whitfield.
0: And we need a third one. And it can't be like Metal Mickey or something, a chameleon of Dr. Him. It's got
1: to actually be a person, not a robot. No, it's someone from films. I mean, not Robin Asquith, for Christ's sake, but, you know, there must be someone like uh, David Essex would be quite a good one, I oh, suppose. A br- if we, right, that's a br- if- we've got a, a-
0: making of a brilliant programme like right that, Who's going to host it, though?
1: Oh, it'd be Jaguar. Or what. It won't no, give us anyone good. It's to you. be people we want, so. Okay. Uh, so, who's, who's like the main sort of TV? Sort of- I'm got,
0: are you asking me who remembers things the most on television? Yes. <laughs> you're not being facetious
1: there. No, but people don't know. Who do you, who would you say? I would
0: nominate Andrew Collins as the host.
1: Yes, I think Andrew Collins is very good at remembering. So if I was thinking that was Stuart McConey, Andrew Collins, that kind of era of person even Catelyn Moran would probably be quite good at it. Uh,
0: Richard Herring. Should we just say everyone we like?
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> so if you're listening, Commissioners, wake up ITV. <laughs>
0: Let's have Looks Familiar, Familiar. <laughs>
1: Extreme.
0: 2000 2000. 2000. Extreme. <laughs> In honour of Dennis Norden, I'm going to play out with my favourite outtake of all time. It's the Yogs. Ben, thank you. There's drama
1: from Stone Park Women's Prison when the inmates start a campaign of violence. The Yogs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry about that. That was a mistake. In these walls tomorrow is a story of Stone Park Prison, the women's prison, in which there's not only women's lib, but there's a lot of danger and a lot of bother. Um, I'm quite sure that uh, when the governor, there, you can see her, <laughs> he finds out, she's so going to be rather cross. Yeah. Sorry about the mistake, We're going to show you a bit of the threatened violence that happens tomorrow, and the story is quite exciting. Mm.
0: a big book full of old articles given a new twist looking at how and why I ended up on the BBC news channel with a big caption saying clanger's expert more details timworthington.org